Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Seen It All, where we break down this week's biggest movie and TV news. We're doing another vacation episode, but you know, I make sure this show happens every single week, and I will not let you viewers down. But so on this week's episode, I got my Indiana Jones style Destiny review. That's a new movie coming out. We got Superman Legacies casting, Secret Invasion episode two, Dune two trailer. And a Five Nights at Freddy's trailers. We got a lot to break down here. Let's break it all down, starting with that Indiana Jones and Dow Destiny review. So, I had rock bottom expectations going into this film. The reviews weren't looking so good. It's I think it's currently at 66% of Rotten Tomatoes, but coming out of Cannes Festival it was a horrible idea of Disney to debut it there because critics ate it up. They only applauded because Harrison Ford is a, such an amazing actor and this is such an amazing character, but they didn't like it. And it, as you see, as it's more critics have come to see it, more and more have liked it, but it's still mixed reactions. So I was expecting myself to have a love-hate relationship with this movie. I was honestly expecting a, another flash at this point. But I think it's honestly, as I said before, Indiana Jones, all four of them, even Kingdom of, Christmas, Kingdom of Crystal Skull, I think they all are pretty good. And while this one might not capture that same feeling as the other ones do, because those are Steven Spielberg films, this one is not. I say it's honestly on par with the other ones and how it made me feel with the Indiana Jones character. I love spending time with this character, and I think all of those adventures are great. My favorite is still Temple of Doom. This is not my new favorite. I don't know. It's probably it's towards the bottom, but they're all very similar quality level. This is a good pentatrilogy. I think that's what he called it. Pentatrilogy, something like that for how many, if there's five. Um, the pacing was pretty good. The first half, they did something where they went like action scene emotional talking scene action scene emotional talking scene action scene emotional talking scene they did that for that first hour and 15 minutes or so and then it started to drag uh the second half it's two and a half hour long movie and the second half dragged a little bit there wasn't as much action in the back half of this film but i just they, they did a lot of talking and a lot of archaeologist stuff which is not the stuff i love for indiana jones i love the indiana jones taking out nazis which we got a lot of in this movie thank goodness um they killed a lot of nazis in this movie which is okay because they're nazis <laughs> But yeah, a lot of people died in this movie, probably more than any other Indiana Jones film. The action scenes were great, especially in the beginning half of this film. Uh, the train sequence they opened up with, with young Harrison Ford, those effects looked a little dodgy, but that scene was pretty good. It looks very similar to the Mission Impossible train sequence that they're having to come out in a couple weeks, which I thought was funny. Uh, then you had the parade scene, and I think it was in New York, I think that's where they were. That parade scene was with the horse. It's something I've never seen before, and I'm, I, I don't know how they pulled that off. And I think probably my favorite action scene in the movie was the, was the stuff in Morocco. If you see with the streetcars chasing and running around with different people coming out. It was like classic Indiana Jones. And I thought it was perfect. All the characters were involved, all trying to go after one thing. It was perfect. And then the final battle, like the final action climax scene, they showed like none of that in the trailer. So I'm not even going to spoil it. I'm not going to give away any context to it. But it got a little bonkers, a little too bonkers for me. And I didn't love like the final climax, like the, the pencilation of all the action in that, in that part. It kind of just ended which I didn't love, but the whole surrounding it, when they, when I figured out what they were doing, I was like, dang, they went there, they went there, they, it might have leaked into some set photos, but I honestly forgot that was two years ago, but I didn't love the climax of the film, but I did love the ending of the film with the character Indiana Jones, they ended it perfectly, and don't believe all those fake rumors where people are bridges taking over the Indiana Jones role, that didn't happen, those were fake rumors, everybody knew it, started by people who just want to attack some cheese in it, no, it had a perfect ending for Indiana Jones, it was just, it was beautiful. It was so, it was, it was perfect. And it's exactly what you see for this character. Give him a definitive ending. Although we've given him a definitive ending three times now. So we'll see if it's a definitive ending. <laughs> Harrison Ford, this is supposedly his last frontier as this character. And he doesn't have the charm as he did when he was younger. But I think that's the point. Because you see 
this as an older Indiana Jones. They call it out a couple times like this world isn't meant for older people like them. And it's kind of sad. He He's kind of sad in this movie, but he delivers it well. And when he gets going, he still throws some heavy punches at people, which is impressive because I think he's 80 years old now or something. He did a great job. Phoebe Waller-Bridge, she was, she's going to be very divisive in this film, I can hardly tell. But her character, she played what she wanted her, her character to be, and her character served a good purpose. So, I mean, it, it didn't bother me. She didn't bother me at all. But, I mean, it wasn't nothing to stand out. She had a sidekick, which I think they could have completely cut out of the film. They could have found a way to cut him entirely out of the film. He did not add anything. And every time we cut back to his scenes, it's like, oh, my gosh, they can totally cut this out. Actor did a fine job, but I want Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Harrison Ford, not Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Harrison Ford, and another little kid. If you had something, like, magical, like, short round, then we'll be okay with that because short round was amazing. Amazing. Um, Sala's in there. He's only on there for like five minutes, maybe. And I wish he had come on the adventure, but he doesn't. Antonio Banderas, probably five minutes too. He doesn't do really much at all, but I mean, he's, eh. yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen is the villain. He's kind of doing the stereotypical what he's always been doing. Casino Royale, Fantastic Bees. Uh, he, he played, uh, he did a TV villain too. So he's done a lot of villains and it was kind of more of the same for him. But it was fun he got to play Nazi. And as I said, lots of Nazis in this film. Lots of Nazis. Lots of Nazis are dying all over the place. And they made a joke where some guy's like, help save me. And she goes, no, you're a Nazi. It's okay what I'm doing. I was like, yep, she's right. She's right. Those fools can die. <laughs> and the time travel stuff, I don't know how they handled it. Like, they handled it better than most films. So that's because they didn't delve too much into it. But it still didn't make a ton of sense what they were doing. They're like, it's math. It's just math. I'm like, no, it's not just math. So it was, it had some funky stuff with it. Same with the ending of the film. So I'll just leave it at that. But I don't think time travel stuff was handled exceptionally well compared to some films. Although I don't, can't say I would say every time travel was ever handled anywhere exceptionally well. It's kind of always gets convoluted and people plot holes appear there and then based on certain character decisions. Time travel was just a mess. <laughs> James Mangold took over Steven Spielberg. I say he did a pretty good job. He's more of a downer director, which is so weird. I still don't understand why they gave him Indiana Jones. They're trying to do more downer, older take on the character, but he did a good job. Um, he got Star Wars, the new Star Wars movie off of this, so hopefully this will do well enough where they won't cancel that film. And as I said, this was a, just a good synopsis for our character. Um, it was not quite the Indiana Jones I expected. As I said, it's much darker, more focused on the older Indiana Jones and less the cheery uptightness. And coming with that, the music, I like the big bombastic Indiana Jones music as we see in the trailers and stuff. We didn't get a ton of that. I think we got like one or two scenes where they played the bombastic Indiana Jones theme music. And I love that theme music and it gets me pumped up. And I wish they had played it more throughout the film. I feel like they could have used it. And I just feel like John Williams is not not what he used to be. Same with the new Star Wars films and this now. He's just running. Not, he's not running the amazing music like he wants to. But it's OK because he's 90 years old. And he needs to retire. Let him enjoy retirement. Uh, also, the VFX was Really good everywhere except for the opening 20 minutes of the film when they did the de-aging Harrison Ford. First of all, his voice was still old Harrison Ford, so it didn't match up. And then I could, except when the action got going and they zoomed out a bit, then I was like, okay, this works. But when they got up close to them, I'm like, I think Luke Skywalker looks better on The Mandalorian, to be honest with you. So it, it didn't quite get me. And I, they could cut out like 30 minutes of this movie, but especially in the latter half. They could cut out so much of the movie. It did not be two and a half hours long. Cut all the sidekick stuff. And you'd have a really tight movie, and I think it would have received a lot better. But if you love Indiana Jones, I highly recommend you just see this because you're gonna have a fun Indiana Jones time. But if you've never seen Indiana Jones, you're like, oh, I'm gonna jump on for this one. Don't. If you're not an Indiana Jones lover, do not see this film. So that's my review. I give it a thumbs up, and I, I was I'm pretty positive on it as an Indiana Jones fan. I enjoyed it quite a bit. So yeah, I pretty I recommend this one. I say popcorn buck bucket turned up. Get that large popcorn. I really love this film. It was great. I'm definitely gonna be seeing it again. 
Um, but for others, there's more mixed reactions. They especially said coming out of Canes, um, way lower than Disney expected. They are never going back to Canes with these big blockbusters ever again after the reception of this and Elemental. As you see, audiences are loving Elemental, and I think that might same happen for here. It's the set has risen to a 66% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is okay, but not the best. They were kind of hoping for a crowd pleasing or finish to this franchise, like with Top Gun Maverick, that had like a 97% or something. Everybody loved that film. I think that's what they were trying to repeat here, but they did not repeat that. Um, critics are saying the film retreads too much and is carried by a few bright moments, like the opening of the film and Harrison Ford's final performance as Indiana Jones. I say it honestly didn't retread a ton for me. I saw the Indiana Jones last time I watched this probably last year, and honestly didn't retread too much. I think they all kind of find follow a similar structure. So if you're gonna say it retreads too much, then you can say two through five retread too much at this point. So I don't think that's fair criticism, but I understand that some of them, this wasn't Indiana Jones they were looking for. Some of them saw it as needless cash grab, which I mean, all movies are, but this one, they made a fifth one, but I don't see a ton of the criticisms, but I kind of understand it. Um, audience reaction, I think the audiences are going to be much more ha- higher on the film, like same with Elemental. I think audiences are going to be high on this film. So, but as for its box office potential, it's looking to open with 60 to 65 million domestic and 140 glo- opening globally. That's really bad. I think that's like half of what Kingdom of Crystal Skull with Kingdom of Crystal Skull opened with back in 2008. So it is not very good, especially because it has a $300 million budget, which I don't know where that budget went. Maybe all the DH and Harrison Ford, but I mean, you could see it, but, but it's not, it didn't do anything that I haven't seen other blockbusters do at $200 million. So I just, I don't understand where that money went. Jeez, I mean, if you can... Ask for that money and get it. And go right ahead. But that was a really bad business decision on part of Lucasfilm. Um, also debuting at Canes. That kind of took the wind out of its sails. And I think it would open a lot bigger had it not debuted at Canes. Uh, I would think this is close to Avatar Way of Water level budgets. And that was completely revolutionary. So Hollywood has a major overspending problem this summer. A lot of these films aren't making money because they spent too much to make. Like, well, I mean, duh. But if these movies would just lower the budgets a little bit or lower the budgets relative, we can't have 200, 300 million dollar blockbusters coming out week after week after week. This does not work. If you notice the movies that are making money, most of them, at least the two biggest, some of the two biggest films of the year, Super Mario Bros., biggest movie of the year, that costs 100 million dollars. Spider-Man Across the Spiders, that costs 100 million dollars. These don't have to be 250, 300 million dollar movies. It's ridiculous how much they're spending. And eventually, I think the summer's going to teach them they don't have to spend that much on them. Um, July 4th holiday should help though as everybody's out of work and I know my grandparents are going to be seeing this throughout the week. So. It's going to do great throughout the week. Um, the over 50 crowd will be there because they're Indiana Jones fans. And when I saw, saw Thursday opening night, half the audience was probably over 50. So Indiana Jones got his fan in the older crowds, which I mean, it's just it needs to capture. It needs to capture that, that my generation in order for it to make money. And it's not looking at it right now. Everyone sees him as the 80 year old man still doing stuff he shouldn't be doing, which I mean, it basically is that. So I don't think they're going to get us out to the theaters. And this is going to open on the same par as James Bond's No Time to Die. And Mission Impossible, they're probably going to open around the similar range. It's just that's the type of demographic for this movie at this point. They're not as big as they used to be. Top Gun, well, Top Gun Maverick did well, but that capitalized on Middle America, which I don't think this movie is going to bring out. But that capitalized on audiences that never go see a movie before. That's what they're like. Oh, this is such a big deal because they brought on audiences who never, never go see movies. Um, that one had a ton of older people go see it. I think this is Disney's gonna see this huge underperformer because one, people thought it should have been better. I'm I'm really maybe I've really liked it, but not a lot of people did, apparently, according to the Rotten Tomato score. And then two, the budget was just way too high. So those are the two things negatives working against it. But Disney has been holding well this summer, so we get to hopefully see future holds in the second weekend. But speaking of future holds, I want to move into this past week's box office. And that starts with Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which held exceptionally well, minus 30%, and its fourth weekend of release down to 19.4 million. 
Um, I just keep repeating myself week after week that this movie is just so good and the audience is rewarding it because they love it. And that's what you want to see. When you see good movies, it does well. So go obviously Dungeons and Dragons. That's the only like contradicting point I have because I love that movie and didn't do well. But go see Dungeons and Dragons. Um, it's beating out films like Transformers, Elemental, and The Flash. All those came a week after, weeks after it released. So it is doing exceptionally well. It also came out that they put two versions of the movie out. I think it was by accident. It's just different dialogue. So it's nothing incredibly rare, which I think that's just a fun thing to do with the multiverse movie. I think it was on accident, but that's still a fun thing to do. Um, <laughs> I didn't notice that someone pointed out. I've seen it three times. I'm probably going to see it for a fourth, but now I'm going to look whenever it points out because I've watched a few of the scenes now. And then it also came out over the weekend of a scathing article from the Vulture, which Vulture just loves attacking VFX and working conditions at this point because uh, they uh, animators were apparently working 11 hours a day, seven days a week, more than 100 quitting, which is really awful. But they also said Chris Miller, he may change things up the final minute. And that led to added levels of stress. And then Amy Pascal just responded by saying this is making a movie. But everybody's criticizing them now for this. I think the, the working conditions suck. But this is how like all anime movies and VFX are made at this point. They need to unionize. It's not one person's fault. It's an industry-wide problem. So I don't think we can put the strict blame on Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. I think Vulture saw his huge success and they were waiting. Oh, this is their chance to strike it. I don't know. Vulture just does this all the time. I don't love Vulture. I think they just, overall, like that's not an attack for one person. Let's attack the whole industry and let's work to get, <laughs> everybody's about to strike. Why don't we get a VFX unit? Why don't we get an anime unit and get these people what they are due? Um, it, just, it just makes me very annoyed. And <sighs> I just feel bad for those workers because they deserve better than this, these cheap reports that come out weeks after the movie releases and they can't do anything about it it's not going to change anything they just need to unionize they need to fix that but along with this report it also came out that they're probably going to push across uh, the third spider-verse film back which sucks but it's understandable if they need to get the product as good as it was so i'm disappointed if it gets pushed back but i understand because this one took a while to wake and hopefully they can work on those on the working conditions in the meantime maybe hopefully people won't have to work 11 hours a day maybe work seven hours a day or something just they need Better working conditions across the board. And then speaking of another animated movie, Elemental came in a close second place. It held well. It dropped 38% in its second week into 18 million. That's a close second for Spider-Verse within a million dollars. It has incredible good word of mouth. Um, I wish it would have opened bigger though, because then you could see even smaller holds, but it's good. It's good with doing right now. I think it's it's number one at the box office on weekdays now. So it might be or it's not gonna be number one this weekend, but it might be number two, which is really good. Hopefully it can have that good word of mouth and propel itself to play throughout the summer it also opened in more markets overseas and went up considerable to making a good amount holding the markets it's holding well in markets that it opened last week so it's going great and i'm happy the word is getting out that this movie is good and it's going to explode on disney plus which is part of the problem but it's going to do i think it's it's going to end up making money for disney in the long run at least i hope it does but it's going to make more money it's going to make more money than flashes that's for dang sure but i saw it again i love it get out and go see that movie that's probably i'm gonna do my top 10 movies of the halfway through the year soon but that is one of my favorite movies of the year. That and Spider-Verse that are in theaters right now, I'd go see those two. If you want to go pick one, pick one of those two. And then No Hard Feelings opened last week. Adult R-rated comedies are back as this opened with 15 million. It was powered by Jennifer Lawrence's star power. It looks to hold well. It got a B-plus cinema score, which is, isn't great, but comedy is subjective, so I'm not sure what like the comedy range the cinema scores are supposed to be. But comedy is subjective, so I'm not sure about that. But I think Jennifer Lawrence should do more in this genre. I think this is going inspire to hear, inspire her. And I think Sony can be happy with this performance after how many bombs they've had this year before, besides Spider-Verse. They need to see this as a win. And I think Jennifer Lawrence is going to get a payday in the next comedy she does. And hopefully she does it. As this had a $45 million budget, 
So that should make it, it's, it should make its money back as long as it doesn't collapse in its second weekend. But I think it will do fine. I think it's going to make money for them. And Sony also puts all their films on Netflix. They have a billion dollar deal with them. This thing is going to explode on Netflix. Everybody's going to watch, watch this our, our raunchy comedy with Jennifer Lawrence. Everybody is. And then the last box office report I have today is The Flash in the second weekend. Record-breaking drop. <laughs> it saved the worst performer for the last. It fell 73% in its second weekend to just making $15 million. The opening wasn't big, and it, it crashed even harder. It's, it's performing on the level of Morbius. Morbius which felt only a little bit worse than Flash. So it's like almost Morbius levels. And Morbius was just awful. It looks to finish with around 300 million worldwide and might not even make 100 million domestic. It might come in like right at 100 million. There's so much money on this. And it, they probably lost more money on this than if they had just dropped it on Max and not spent $150 million to advertise it. It's just karma for not saying anything about the Ezra Miller situation. I would have said something about the Ezra Miller situation. They never did. <laughs> I laid out all the reasons why it's flopping last week's episode, so go check out there. I gave like five or six different reasons because it's a it's a it's a amalgamation of different things. But if you want to see specific reasons, I would go back and look at that. But this just shows audiences aren't interested in the current DC at all. It's just absolutely historic flop we are watching here. It's absolutely insane, but not one that didn't have the writing already on the wall. But sticking with the DC news, I want to talk about the Superman Legacy has been casted. It's finally been casted after like weeks and months of casting rumors. We finally have a cast. And the one pick I wanted didn't get it. And I was very sad. I let an audible boo when I found the news. But I mean, this cast is pretty good. Um, past few months, I've said we've heard reportings of tests and tapes that actors have sent in. Like, oh, this one's really good. We heard this one's good. We heard he's leaning this way. It was all rumors and speculation. But um, they had, they, last week when Flash was coming out, they put out a put out news that they had three different pairings coming out. So they had Emma Mackey and David Cornsweet. They were paired Superman and Lex Luthor. Then you have, not Lex Luthor, <laughs> Clark Kent, Superman, and Lois Lane. And then you had Rachel Brosnahan and the one Superman cast member I never heard of. And then Nicholas Holt and then Phoebe Dwyer, I think was her last name from Bridgerton. They were paired together. I don't know why Nicholas Holt was ever in the running for this. He, uh, he bo- he's lost now both Batman and Superman, by the way. So he should have totally gone for Lex, but. Nicholas Holt, I don't think you were ever going to be Superman, so I don't even know why he was in there. But Emma Mackey was the one I wanted. She was the only pick I wanted out of any of these. I love her. She was great in Death on the Nile. She was good in Sex Education. She's going to be in Barbie. I'm kind of upset because they, they tested her with It came out that Emma Mackey tested with all three of the actors, and not everybody did. They brought her back for a second day, so I was like, oh, Emma Mackey's got this in the bag, and then she didn't because news broke that David Cornsla and Rachel Brosnahan got the role. And I was really sad because I said I wanted Emmy Mackey, but I haven't seen Hollywood, which David Cornswett starred in, nor Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is where da- uh, Rachel Brosnahan won all her Emmys and all her accolades for. So she's really good in that show, apparently. So these aren't my two picks for the role. I thought James Gunn would have gone more outside the box, like he usually does. David Cornswett, as any- everybody else has pointed out, but he looks exactly like Henry Cavill, too, just a younger Henry Cavill. I'm like, it's just, I don't know why we just cast the same as that person. Or like, it's like I'm having deja vu all over again, but. Um, James Gunn's really impressed me with all of his other castings, so he usually picks good people too, so that kind of helps, and as these are two good people, then I'm all for it, so I love having good people get to work, it's great. Hopefully they're great actors too. Um, I think they were supposed to debut this at Comic-Con, but impending actor strike, trades might have gotten word of it and wanted to leak it out, so they just confirmed it on Twitter the other day, but I don't know if Comic-Con's gonna happen at this point with the writer strike, which is imminent, or not writer strike, writer strike going on right now, but the actor strike is imminent at this point, so We'll see where it goes with that. 
Uh, I don't know. Just a little disappointed. But the only major role in the film that's left to cast is that of Lex Luthor. And the two rumors are for the two runners, two, two people in the race for it are Alexander Skarsgård, who is in Succession, he's in the Tarzan movie, he's in a ton of stuff. And then his brother, Bill Skarsgård, who's Pennywise and It and John Wick Chapter 4 villain. It's so funny. We have brothers are fighting for the Lex Luthor role. Um, my pick's Alexander Skarsgård because I think he just crushed this role and beat opposing Lex Luthor after Jesse Eisenberg's weak, puny little Lex Luthor and Batman vs. Superman. I think we need the complete opposite of that. And I think Alexander Skarsgård would bring that. I still like the pick of Giancarlo Esposito, although he's kind of playing that in the boys, but I don't care. I love Giancarlo Esposito that much. He can play Lex Luthor. But please let this one cast member go my way. Please let it be Alexander Skarsgård. I really want that. Although neither of these men can pull off the bald look which I don't think is required for this role of Lex, but please don't even try. Don't even try to shave their heads, I swear. Don't make them ugly, because they're both pretty good-looking guys. Don't screw it up. I, I just can't believe Superman Legacy is actually happening, and I wonder if Warner Bros. can even find an answer at this point after the major flops they've had. Barbie might do well. Barbie might do well. That might give them some money to finance Superman Legacy. Um, I think this, is, these, this news came out real quick, before the actors strike, and while we'll get the bad taste of Flash out of everybody's mouth. <laughs> Um, James Gunn has been hyping up the movies for years, which he did not need to do. And he even hired the director of Flash to direct Batman Brave and the Bold. So I don't know what he's doing with He hyped up Flash, excuse me. He hyped up Flash a ton. I don't know why he put all his money in that bin, but that came to back for him. So he had to announce this real quick to distract out of it. He's never going to touch the Flash. At, well, maybe the character, but never touch that version of the Flash ever again. But I just want to implore him again, full reboot, full reboot, please don't keep anybody. Not even anybody from Suicide Squad. Just start over. Please. I beg of you. I don't want to be in the same mess 10 years from now. Please. The audience is just so done with the universe, and so should WB. But seeing with the WB news, we had two new trailers come out this week. Dune Part 2 got its full trailer. Dang, was this the trailer I was looking for? As I said when that teaser trailer came out, I was not hot on it. It kind of just felt like more of the same from the first one. That first one was way too long and a lot more talking and less more set up for what was to come. And I'm hoping it was set up in a big action like Lord of the Rings epic. And that first trailer that they put out for Doom Part 2 didn't look like an epic. But this looks like it could be an epic. And they show a lot more action. You see a lot more drama between characters. Paul Trades, he looks great. I love Chris. We got a first look at Christoph. I think I, is it either Christoph Waltz or Christopher Walker? I don't know. We're either of the two that are playing the Emperor. And then her daughter, uh, Florence Pugh, is playing the Princess Ularin or something. It looked cool. I love the political espionage. And then we got to see more of the prophecy and how Paul is going to construe that to support his thing. I don't know much doing spoilers, but I can tell something's a brewing here. We're going to start having some infighting and we're going to have giant climactic action scenes. And ah, I'm excited. I want the big action. I want the action stuff. I want the payoff of what was set up all last movie two years ago. And I wish they would have filmed that back to back. They should have filmed it back to back. And then it came out in Deadline that they might make this a three part series and do the Messiah as the trilogy finale. So I think that's a great idea. Why not keep this going as long as you can? Keep these people employed. I think it'd be a great idea to, to redo. So yeah, I am actually really excited for Dune now after that trailer. And I was not expecting to say that after that first one, but I am excited. And then the other film that got a trailer is Five Nights at Freddy, which my sister loves Five, Five Nights at Freddy. I don't know when she started loving it, but she loves Five Nights at Freddy. And uh, she's so excited for this movie. I'm not. Uh, first of all, well, I was excited at one point, but then they announced that this is going to go released in theaters on the same day it debuts on Peacock. Universal has only done that for three films, I believe. They did that for both Halloween films, and they did that for Firestarter. And none of those movies I would call great. They're, I'd call them close to awful, if okay. So, 
it's not looking good for Five Nights at Freddy. I that just shows no confidence in it at all. And I think they should just I don't know why they aren't just going full theatrical because it's gonna it's gonna leak online. You're gonna all the Five Nights at Freddy people are just like, oh, I can watch it for free right here. Let's do that instead of go out and see the movie. So this gives not a lot of hope. And the trailer looked okay to me. I like Josh Hutcherson that he's back and Matthew Lillard. I like that he's back. I haven't seen them in a hot minute in anything. Um, they showed off a lot of stuff in the trailer. The animatronics fine. They look like what they're supposed to. I mean, it looks like what it's supposed to. It just doesn't look particularly scary. I think it might only be PG-13 too, which kind of sucks. I like scenes. I want to see some scary movies. And when I go see horror movies, I want to be thrilled and thrilled. But this didn't look thrilling. It kind of looked cheesy and cheap and like a major streamer movie at this point. And especially when I have no confidence from the studio in it. I'm not going to get you confident at all. But I, I think it's going to do well still, though, because there's so many Five Nights at Freddy's fans. I had no idea until this trailer came out that there are so many Five Nights at Freddy's fans. So it might do well. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, so not a huge hope for Five Nights at Freddy. So I got major hope for Doom Part 2, but no hope at all now for Five Nights at Freddy. But it's cool that it releases for Halloween. That'll be a fun, fun screening to go to. So, And then last topic today is my Secret Invasion Episode 2. And I just want to give quick non-spoilers, and I'm going to jump into spoilers. So quick non-spoilers. I thought it was a major improvement on the first episode in almost everything. It was focused more on the characters that I cared I cared more about. They focused on the characters that I cared about, not the people I didn't care about. And it had much better dialogue, and more stuff happened. They pushed that plot along. along. They pushed that plot along, and it got better. So if I say if you watched episode one and were iffy on it like me and didn't stick around, I highly implore you to watch episode two, because it got loads better. Loads better. So now, I ask everybody, if you have not seen Secret Invasion episode two, to tap off now, because I'm going to get into spoilers. So, first of all, Nick Fury's wife, is she a, does, she know, does he know she's a scroll? Because she's a scroll. Um, I think that was a pretty cool idea that they just introduced that dropped the bomb at the end of the episode. I wonder, we're going to get more on it, but I think that's a cool development for his character. Um, also, his broken promises, he promised these people a homeland, and he did not deliver on that, so he's got a lot of people angry at him because of that. Uh, Talos, he didn't do much this episode, but the one conversation he had with Nick Fury in the train was great. They played the game, tell me something I don't know, and he told him that millions of scrolls were on the planet Earth, or one million scrolls were on planet Earth. I don't know how none of them have been found out because it might have been killed or something in a car accident, something like that. That's incredible that they're still hiding, but that big reveal, Nick Fury was pissed. It was so funny. He kicked him out of the train. Oh, it's such a good conversation. Maria Hill, still gone. I wish she would have stayed around a little longer as a major player. It just uh, kind of sucks that she's gone. But her conversation about as they brought her body to America, the conversation between her mother and Fury was really sad and heart-wrenching. And it really made me miss that character. And it was a Great conversation. It was tight. It was perfect. I love that conversation. The scroll political stuff, though, was my favorite with the scroll council. Them all meeting there and figuring out that Gravik had already gone behind their backs and aligned with one of them to take over the planet. I love that stuff. I love that stuff. It was great. And you actually got to see them transform into scrolls. Perfect. And then they also went pretty adult with it when towards the end of this episode with Olivia Coleman showing up, badass she is, torturing that one dude. And she cut out that dude's finger like it was nothing. And then it was great. She was she was torturing that man. And I was surprised they let that go that far on Disney Plus, which I was happy with. This show is TVMA. This show is not for kids. Uh she I just love Olivia Coleman. She's doing great in here. And then also the another great part was Rody meeting with Fury. That conversation about the African American experience and trying to help a brother out. That was great. And I love the tension you could feel between the two. But Rody is definitely a scroll because he is not acting like himself in the slightest, other than when he said he wanted the carpet bomb. I think it was Slovakia, Slovakia, Croatia, or something. 
or something like that. But other than that, he didn't seem to be acting like himself. I think he might be a scroll at this point. Um, I still don't like Ravik, the enemy, the enemy, nor Amelia Clark's character. Gaia, she just also did nothing this episode. They kind of both did. Gravik did something, but Amelia Clark as Gaia did nothing and didn't really do much last episode besides get Maria Hill killed. So I'm surprised they got this level of actress to just do this bit part at this point. So hopefully she picks up and actually does something. Um, the action with the gunfight in was also poorly done with Gravik and stuff. I'm like, oh, this is really boring. Can we fast forward through the gunfight? That was the first time I said, let's fast forward through this action scene. So hopefully that means they are saving up. They're saving up their budget for the end of the show. Because uh, they didn't do much action in this episode, nor the past one. Um, after not really liking last week's episode, I hope the show can continue on this trajectory and be a great, a great Disney Plus series. I have hope now. If you have one bumpy episode, you can redeem it with five great episodes, and I love the show. Oh, and the Super Scrolls are coming. That is definitely a hint at Super Scrolls. They had that instead of in the comics, they had Fantastic Four powers. And instead, because Mims Yuta hasn't introduced the Fantastic Four yet, they decided to give him four different powers, that being Groot's powers, of like the stretchy with the roots and stuff. Um, the ice creatures from Jotunheim in the Thor movies, so icy breath. An extremist group from Iron Man 3, the Iron Man 3 villains that could breathe fire and reheal themselves, they give him that. And then the Cold Sidious's power, which is like the thing from the Fantastic Four, who was in Avengers Infinity War. So they're Fantastic Four, but not Fantastic Four. But I'm excited to see some Super Scrolls. I'm ready for some good action here. Hopefully, um, the crappy action we got for these first episodes are means they're saving the budget for some Super Scrolls, and hopefully that means they're also saving their budget for an Avenger to show up. Not just Rhodey, who isn't even suited up, so I don't I don't fully count it. My weekly rant at this point, about 3 a.m. drops. I gotta mention and throw this in there, but it's screwing up everything. We're wake up and have to watch this immediately and not check my phone, not do any of that stuff, and trying to balance that while getting to work and stuff like that. It's a mess. Drop it at night, like a normal, like HBO Max, please. Listen to HBO. HBO is doing so much better than you at the one part. Disney Plus, drop it at night. It'll You'll get higher viewership, too. You'll get more people talking about it instead of waking up and getting spoiled with stuff. The viewership of the first episode was 997,000, according to Sama TV, which is kind of a reliable source. We'll see more when Nielsen ratings come online. But this is the second lowest MCU, MCU show just ahead of Ms. Marvel, which had, I think, 700,000, which, I mean, I would expect that this would be the lowest one looking back. I never would have predicted high viewership because it's very adult. As I said, the kind of, they just did that torture scene just right there. Um, so it's it's TVMA and it is TVMA. They let them do it TVMA. So I never would have thought they'd get families gathered around to watch this show. Loki, I think, is the high bar for the Marvel shows. That had 2.5 million people watch it on this first episode. So that's the bar to beat at this point. I think Loki season two might beat that bar, but we'll see. Um, Sam Jackson also doesn't have... I thought he would have had more star power to bring people in, but... Disney wants to see their viewership rise over time. If they rises over time, that means there's good word of mouth. Like WandaVision started off lower, I think only 1.5 million maybe, but it grew huge because everyone was talking about Revelation stuff. I miss the WandaVision time. I truly miss it because that was so much fun theorizing what was going to happen. I hope we get to that same level with their secret invasion where we're theorizing every week. Oh, are they a scroll? Are they a scroll? Hopefully, hopefully they can do that. Hopefully they can achieve that same thing. But at least Disney Plus doesn't give us a binge model. Thank you for doing that. But I'm actually looking forward to next week's episode. I might make up, wake up super early to watch this one. Make it easier on myself. But you got to get motivated enough to actually wake up at 2 in the morning. You got to have some sort of level of motivation. I do it for Mandalorian. But I haven't done that for a Marvel show in a hot minute. Probably since Moon Knight, maybe. <laughs> Even that one I didn't love a ton. But I'm glad, glad I'm done with... No, I'm not. I'm not done with 3 a.m. I was about to say, I'm glad I'm done with 3 a.m. Drop time. No, I'm not. They're still doing it. I don't know what the heck I was about to say, but... Secret Invasion, much better episode than the first one, and I'm glad we're starting on the right track. As for next week, 
Insidious. We have two films opening next week. First of all, Insidious Red Door. Um, I had never seen these films, so I started turning them on. I've been through the first two Insidious films, and I think I just watched the same movie twice, and they're kind of very cheaply, poorly made. And they're by James Wan. I love James Wan, but I it kind of just gave me standard horror film vibes. They had a cool... I think if I saw this 10 years ago when it first came out, I would have loved it a lot more. But I've kind of... Everybody's kind of taken the same effect that they've done in this film and used it in other things. So it's kind of felt like I've seen this film before. It had cool ideas with astral projections, but honestly, not a huge fan. I still got to watch three and four. And I don't know. The trailers for this one haven't hooked me either. I think I've seen it once in a theater. Hasn't hooked me. I haven't gone back to rewatch it now that I've watched I'm watching the past movies, so we'll see. I'm going to kind of go in blind. I never really go in blind to see these films. I like the cast, and I, I think this is Patrick Wilson's directorial debut. Insidious, the red door is. So, I don't know. I, uh, also, the kid from Jurassic World is in this, too. I don't know who was in this. was where he got his start. And then uh, Rosa Burns, who was in Bridesmaids and the new Apple TV comedy with Seth Rogen. I love Rosa Burns. She's the best in Bridesmaids. I love her in Bridesmaids, so hopefully she can keep up her screaming. I hope she can do more than just screaming. Which is what she's just done in the past past few films I've watched. Maybe she can do some astral projection soon herself. Who knows? But no reviews out yet. No reactions. But definitely looking forward to this next film, Joyride, much more. And Joyride had excellent CinemaCon reactions, like across the board. And critics have been loving it too. It has 100% Rotten Tomatoes. That's great. I'm not in love with the trailer though. It's not exactly my style of humor. It's kind of potty mouth humor to me, honestly. I don't know. Hopefully, I'll find it funny. I'm seeing an early access screening. My excitement is growing. My regular theater, which never sells out for anything, somehow sold out all the Joyride tickets on Thursday. I don't know how that's possible, but I want to get in there and be with a full crowd seeing this movie, so maybe I can weasel my way in there. It might be a glitch, but who knows? Maybe a huge group bought out the whole entire day. But I really want another super funny comedy after... Hopefully it can rival No Hard Feelings and Cocaine Bear for funniest comedies, because I had so much fun with those movies, Cocaine Bear and No Hard Feelings. Cocaine Bear especially. That's my. I, I said last week No Hard Feelings is the best comedy this year. No, it's not. I forgot about Cocaine Bear. Cocaine Bear is amazing. Nothing can beat Cocaine Bear. <laughs> so yeah, next week, Insidious Red Door and Joe Ride. So you Joy Ride. So you make sure to get I'll give you both my reviews and my first reactions on social media. So make sure to check out those. Also, sometime in this coming week, I'm going to do my top 10 halfway through the year. It's coming, and some things on there might surprise you. Some things that aren't on there might surprise you too. So make sure to look out for that on YouTube, on podcasts, on Spotify. Make sure to check out for that. And make sure you also follow me on all my all my channels. If you click my link tree, I have Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, I'm on YouTube, I'm on Spotify. I'm on everything, everything, but make sure you hit me there and you can see first reactions like Indiana Jones. I posted the first reaction a little bit ago, so make sure you check out those and also make sure you, if you're on YouTube, like, comment, and subscribe, baby. I finally remembered to say it. I finally remembered to say it, but so yeah, make sure to check back out, check back, check back out next week for my Insidious Red Door and Joy Reviews, but thank y'all for watching tonight and y'all have a good night now.